Welcome to worship this morning. I'm Pastor Bruce. Glad to see you here this morning. I know others are coming in, and we want to make sure they feel right at home and welcome also. And online, welcome to all of you who are joining us this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to inspire one another, to good works for the glory of God, and to just enjoy the grace and the love of God in Jesus Christ for all of us this morning. It's a great treasure that we have eternal life through what God has provided for us through Jesus, isn't it? And on this, have you been enjoying spring just a little bit? Have your allergies kicked into high gear? Yeah, mine have too. So, but it's been wonderful, and we're looking forward to more beauty and, and more to come as God unfolds his creative work in the world, and we admire God so much. And we're here to worship the Lord this morning, praise his name, and give God glory. So well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to your house this morning with expectations. We come to your house this morning to greet one another, to see each other, to enjoy each other's company, to maybe make some new friends, new acquaintances. God, we thank you so much. Families, young and old, we're grateful that we are truly one body in Jesus Christ, one people, your people. We thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're thankful, God, that by your grace we are made right with you, and it is all done by you for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God, we come to you this morning to give you praise, worship, and to serve your name, to magnify you, God, that the world around us can hear your praises being delivered by us, and the good news will reach their ears and be received and believed for their own salvation too. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. Let's praise the Lord. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be here. All right. We're going to try, try a little clapping here. I know that's a little hard, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it right.
up so bad I want to do it again. I got joy, joy, joy deep in my soul. Just sing, sing, sing wherever I go. All my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. no matter how we sing. <laughs> he, I think the Holy Spirit must take our singing and like he does our prayers and, and fixes them up for God's ears. Maybe that's how that works. <laughs> this is a new one we started last week and we just wanted to do it in to cement it in our hearts.
you're my defense No more fear in life or death I know how the story ends We will be with you again You're my Savior, my Lord God, it's true. Father, you know what's ahead, and you have given us the promise of eternal life and your return, and Lord, we have that to look forward to, and Father, I just thank you that you go before us, you fight those battles, Father, and you give us the strength and endurance, Lord, to, to go and do all that you called us to do, no matter what the circumstances are. For God, you are everything that we need. You provide exactly what we need for every day and for every situation. And Lord, we just want to place our hearts and our full trust in you this morning. Thank you, Lord. If all I had was Christ, I'd have nothing to gain. All I have is Christ and I everything His presence is enough He hides me in His wings He wraps me in His love The 
Heavenly Father, we know that when we just sang that song, you keep your promises. Lord, there's not one promise in Scripture that you have not fulfilled to this date. You've always been faithful. You've always been true to your promises. And Lord God, we know that you have promised us things to come. Christ is returning. That we will have a new heaven and a new earth. That when we die, our bodies may give up temporarily, Lord God, but a resurrection, a physical resurrection will come, a new body fit for heaven and earth. And Lord God, we thank you that our salvation is rooted and solely provided by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God, that's a promise. Help us to set aside our works. Help us to set aside our self-achievements. Help us to set aside obligating you to save us because of what we think we've done. God, thank you that you are faithful even when we're not. Thankful that your yes is always yes and your no is always no. That you are not wishy-washy. God, thank you so much that we can count on you always. Your promises are sure. And so God, we come to you this morning for a refreshment in our spirits, a renewed confidence in your promises, and the assurance of our salvation that comes from you. Thank you, Lord, so very much for our worship time together with you today. 
and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to invite the kids to come on up and join me here on the stairs. If you're, if you're a, a youth heading for Sunday school, middle school, high school, I don't care if you're an adult and you feel like a kid, you know what it is. Come on up and uh, join us up here. You're always welcome. So join me up here on the stairs, and then afterwards you'll be heading down for Sunday school. If you're a guest this morning, feel free to come with the kids and make sure they feel very comfortable here. This is God's house, and all of us are welcome as his children. All right. They're coming. They're coming, they're coming. Hi, guys. Good to see you. Good morning, good morning. Hi. Good to see you. All right. I have a well-known picture. Who is this? Pinocchio, right? I got, it's a pretty obvious one. It's a big Pinocchio, big nose. Who, how come his nose is so big? Because he's lying, right? So he might tell a lie that's not true, and then his nose would go, and then pretty soon it'd get really long, and then her branches coming off the end of it, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big liar right there. So now, does God... Does God's nose ever grow like that, if God had a nose, right? No, because does God ever lie? God always tells the truth. So if God promises something in the Bible, will God always be true to his promise? Yes, exactly right. I've got a scripture here from 2 Corinthians, and it says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know what amen means? Let it be so. Let it be that way. God promised. We say praise the Lord. Right on God. Right. He's always going to tell the truth. And when God says I'll never flood the world again to Noah and his family and he tells us about the rainbow. Well is God ever going to flood the world again? No. No because God promised right he's always true to his promises and so when God says that I will save you through what Jesus did for you is that a promise from God yeah we can count on God to see us through and have all of the things forgiven by God and to have a fresh new day every day with the love of God in our hearts and in our families right so can we trust God when he tells us something we can say yes that's absolutely true amen right Okay, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you, Lord, aren't like Pinocchio. That, Lord God, when you tell us something, it is true and always true. And that when you promise something, as you have, that it always comes true. That you are faithful. That we can trust you. And so, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, Lord God, through Jesus Christ, all of our sins are gone and that we have a right relationship with you and we can have a right relationship with each other now and forever with love in all of our hearts thank you so much for your love for us we trust you lord we trust what you tell us it's always right and true in jesus name amen can we all say amen amen all right hey god bless you have a good time down the fellowship hall is Gabe gonna, Gabe is, okay, middle school, high school, Gabe is right here, he's gonna take you down, Rachel's there, she's doing great, Isabella's there too, hi Isabella, how you doing bud, energy, 
Last night was rough. Well, it's good to see you guys. Praying for you. It's kind of funny to hear us all chuckle when we hear that, right? Because if you've had kids, you know what that's all about. I'd like to invite us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans. We're going to finish chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be reading through uh, 9 through 22. It's a bit of a longer stretch, but there's a theme to it. Uh, Verses 9 through 12 don't really have as much relevance, per se, to our lives today. This is Paul's comment to the Jewish Christian, Gentile Christian community in Rome at the time. So we will just briefly look at those verses, but then after that, Paul's uh, talking about the promise of God. We've been theming this morning on promise, and so that's the, the knitting that holds the whole piece together is God's promise. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we read through your word this morning, that God, it's not just words on a page, but it's words for us, your words, your speaking to us. We ask your Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts and minds and our spirits, that we could be transformed by these words. We would become more mature, that God, we would see ourselves in a larger family setting, and that our trust in your promises, Lord God, will grow. We give you thanks, even for faith itself, that we can trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised, this right relationship with God? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It wasn't after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So it wasn't through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes, how? By faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value. The promise is worthless because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all, as it is written. I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver, 
though through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. It's a long stretch and can seem kind of confusing, but there is a unifying feature that underlies the entire passage, and that is the promise of God and how, it's, how we can rely on God's promise. The first point in your outlines is just a real brief one. It's this. Abraham is the father of all who believe. The father of all who believe. Not just the ancestor of the Jewish ethnic group, believers, but also of all who believe the good news of God's grace through faith. And as Paul would elaborate that, as we know, it was faith to come in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. This is the father of all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. So circumcision makes no difference, and that's why he spent all the time explaining that circumcision came after God made that covenant with Abraham, that he would be the, he'd be the father of a great nation, and he would bless all the nations through him, God said. So those two pieces come together without circumcision being included at all. And that's what Paul's point is, that Jew and Gentile alike can look to Abraham and his faith and how God declared him righteous. Therefore, all like Abraham who have faith are in a righteous relationship with God by God's declaration. So he's unifying the church in all of this. We're all his children then the second one that we want to look at is the promise itself. If promise unites the entire piece, beginning with verse 13 on down through 22, what is it? It's the first time Paul mentions the promise. He's mentioned the law and some other things, and we've gotten familiarized with those over time. But this is different. This is a brand new thing. What is this promise that he's talking about? Well, the answer is in Genesis, and it's back in chapter 12. And by the way, if any of the men want to join us on Saturday morning, we just started the Bible study on Genesis. We just got through chapter 1. So if you're looking for a Bible study and, and the guys here this morning want to jump in, come into my office at 7.30 and join us. If you're interested in the book of Job, come Thursday morning. I'll serve you breakfast. i got to give you a little more bribery on that one, right? So you can get in here at 6.30 in the morning. I'll get you breakfast. It's all good, good word, and what we're looking at are the many, many promises of God. In fact, even in the middle of Job, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and even though my body dies, I will see him with my own eyes in the flesh. He's talking about the resurrection and the fact that his sins are forgiven by a Redeemer. Right in the middle of Job, we often overlook it. He had confidence in the promises of God, and we can have that same assurance of the promises of God ourselves. So what is it specifically that Paul is referring to? It's this in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation, God tells Abraham. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The great nation, of course, would be Israel, the Jewish people. The all nations would be everybody else, including myself and those who aren't of a Jewish ethnic descent this morning. All of us are united, Jew and Gentile alike, in Christ. And that's what the special message was for the Christian community there in Rome. The promise to Abraham came 420 or so years before Moses. So it had nothing to do with Moses 
and the law on Mount Sinai, it was all about faith. Faith in the promises of God. Faith in God himself that God said that's the faith that is the instrument of my grace for Abraham. And I declare Abraham righteous. And we'll look at what it was that uh, God promised him. So God's promise to Abraham relates in three different ways. And there's three points now that I'll hit that I want to just briefly hit with you first. First is faith secures the promise. The second is believing Jews and Gentiles alike benefit from the promise. And the third one is thanks to God, Abraham's faith never failed. And we can say the same thing. Thank you, God, that my faith in Jesus Christ has never failed, even in the low points in my life. If you had those low points, I call them moments of coughing spiritual dust. I've had those moments. But by the grace of God, God saw me through those moments. And that is what Abraham experienced as well, that confidence that comes from God. So let's look at the first one. Faith secures the promise. Not our works, faith. Verses 13 to 15. It was not through the law, in other words, the law of Moses, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments and all that. It wasn't through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For, the, for if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, it's all about works and achievement and merit and goodness and all that. And the promise is worthless. In other words, God owes us righteousness. And God's promise of giving righteousness doesn't work. So Paul says it goes out the window when we forget about faith. Because law brings wrath. The wrath of God is an activity where God gets angry sometimes. He's emotional, not losing it. But God does have feelings. That's why we have feelings. We're made in his image, right? But his feelings are always under control, and they're always right. And when wrath is expressed, it's an activity of God in response to God's reaction to our sin. And it's always a right reaction, a proper response. And we can expect that, and we know that that's part of God's very nature. He won't lose it and explode, so to speak, and then apologize later for overreacting. God is not like that at all. So thank God for that, right? There's no law, there's no transgression. In other words, once Moses was told by God what the Ten Commandments were and all the other laws, then they knew what a transgression was. If they went over the line, they know better, but they cross that line. That's the Hebrew expression of a type of sin called a transgression. Trespassing, going over the fence. This is what he's saying. So in the Mosaic law, later on, if you obeyed the law of God, you were blessed by God. If you disobeyed the law, you were punished by God. They tended to camp on the good side, and they tended to neglect the punishment side. It happens in Christian circles today. If I mention hell, then it becomes uncomfortable. So let's not, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the good stuff. And it's a human reaction. You want to camp on the good stuff. I want good stuff but it's still there, and that's the thing that Paul brings back to the table. The law, let's not forget, he says, brings wrath. Then how in the world can we think for a minute that performance, Christian life, has merit with God to the point that God owes us anything? 
If we do a lot of good works and we serve the poor and we gave water to the thirsty and bread to the hungry, if we helped people across the street, if we bandaged up their wounds, if we paid for their hotel night, then we stand before Almighty God in heaven and we can say, look what we did, God. Surely you owe us something. You know, there's a passage about judgment in Matthew that Jesus replies, I never knew you. It's not our works that saves us, it's faith. Faith, and it's all provided by God. This is the key piece that Paul brings out. Paul's point is, if you mix up the Mosaic law, or performance, works, merit, with faith, then both faith and God's promises diminish and are gone. We can never mix those two up. Worse yet, if we depend upon the law, we're all doomed. Have you ever hated anybody? Well, when you're a kid, it's easier to do than when I'm an adult, but every now and then I get kind of angry, don't you? And you know, you, hatred, well, the, Jesus said if you hate somebody, it's tantamount to murder. So have you ever murdered anybody? Apparently so. At least at one point in our lives, maybe we hated somebody, right? Even as a kid. So who, who among us can say that we're, we've never been covetous? Who among us has never told a lie? My, you know, ears, what, ears get longer and noses get bigger as you get older, apparently, right? Um, maybe that's all part of that Pinocchio thing. The key piece for us is thank God we're saved by the promises of God alone through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the key for all of us. Look at James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law, Let's say somebody could love God all the time. Let's say somebody could love their neighbor in the best way that's good for their neighbor. That means loving them as you love yourself. Let's say that was possible, but you stumble at just one point, one point, one time in your whole life. It says this in James, and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. The law cannot take us home. The law does not obligate God to reward us. In fact, we can't keep the law. We're all sinners. What's left? The grace of God. Because on our own, we're sunk. In the Christian church in the first century in Rome, there was a disparity. I think the Gentile Christians understood that they're saved by the grace of God. They knew they didn't have a Jewish heritage. They knew they hadn't been blessed with the law on Mount Sinai. They knew that they weren't ethnically chosen people in that Jewish sense but they also knew that they were saved by the grace of God. The trouble seems to be in the Jewish Christian community that thought that they were privileged in some respects and they were immune from God's judgment because they'd been chosen and they'd been given the law of God through Moses. And what Paul does, he says, let's just skip past Moses, will you? Let's go right back to Abraham. Abraham, he'd be the father of a great nation. That's you Jewish Christians here in the church in Rome. And by the way, all nations will be blessed through Abraham. Really? Yeah, and that means all the people at your church that aren't Jewish. In other words, you all are children of Abraham because he's saved by faith and declared righteous by God. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're right with God by God's declaration, not your achievement or ethnicity. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And he's bringing the church into unity in Christ all the way through, all the rights in the letter. It's a major, major component in the book of Romans. So, law, what we do, but we can't do enough, and we can't do it perfectly well, and by the time we know what we should have done, it's too late, we've already done it, 
So we're sunk. The only thing left is God's grace. God doesn't owe us anything, but he loves us to give us everything. That's eternal life through faith in Christ. So what is faith? Well, faith is kind of like an illustration. Faith is like holding out your hands to receive. It's an act of trust and faith. God, fill my hands with your grace. It's an instrument, not a work on my part. I'm just out to receive whatever it is God wants to give me, an open heart. And this is what faith is, and it's, it's like trust, but I haven't seen it yet, so to speak. Um, it's an expectation that because God promised, I know that if I just wait on the Lord, it'll be mine. That's a life of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? This is all trust in God. So what? Faith. We take no credit for accepting God's gift. It's a gift that's given to us. We receive it. We take no credit even for our faith. Faith is itself is a gift from God that we could be willing to even reach out our hands to receive what he has for us. Faith isn't a work we do that obligates God to declare us right and righteous. And our faith is a response to the Holy Spirit that births a living spirit in us that recognizes the instrument of faith that God gives us to receive what God gives. So my question this morning is, what are you relying on in your life to be right with God? That's a big question. How many of us fall into works just a little bit now and then? You know, you feel like maybe you aren't right with God after an event or a thought or an attitude or something. And yes, you, as a Christian, you know it bothers us and the Holy Spirit moves us and we want to, we want to confess and repent as we are led by God and informed by the Word of God, right? It's all in us. But are we ever not right with God? Isn't grace a gift? And isn't faith the passive instrument where we just hold out our hands to receive? Do we ever lose our salvation? See, this is the key piece that Paul is saying. We're saved by the same way that Abraham was saved. By faith. This is the instrument of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I have to say, is my favorite couple of verses in all the New Testament. I, I think I refer to this more often in pastoral ministry and in sharing the gospel with other people. This is my go-to. And it says so much in such a short period of time, it's, it's well worth looking at over and over and over. It says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved. How are we saved? Let's look at that. It is by grace, God's grace, that you have been saved. That's the key piece right there. Then it goes on. Through, here's the instrument, faith. Well, what about this? Well, it's not from yourselves. You can't claim any credit. God does not owe you or me anything. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest anybody could boast. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. It's all about God all the time. Sola fide is the classic reform thing in Latin, solely by faith. That's the gift that we have from God. And the promise that God gives us is sure. As I read for the kids this morning, it's all yes in Jesus. 
God promised the Messiah would come, the Messiah came. God promised the Messiah would suffer, the Messiah suffered. God promised that the Messiah would be crucified, the nails pierced hands and all that, he was. God promised he would be raised from the dead, he, he was. God promised that he'll come back, he will. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. That's so key for our lives to, to trust him. I don't trust the news. Do you trust the news? How would you like to invest in the stock market based on what somebody just said in the news? We'd all be broke, maybe. It's just up and down and sideways and all over the map. We got all these Nostradamus things from the past. Now there's a current modern-day Nostradamus that people are watching. Somebody that predicted 9-11 is now predicting nuclear bomb going off somewhere this year. And you've you got to just duck and cover and hide under your bed after a while. But what does the Bible say? Is the world going to end in some cataclysmic accident because some nut somewhere lost his marbles and decided to annihilate everybody? I say that, Lord, respectfully. Um, no. Jesus is coming back. We got the promise. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't going to be death and hardships and turmoil and disaster here and there. There always has been. But is life as we know it going to end by a sheer accident? No. God's got this. We've got his promises. We've got the assurance of our salvation. We've got the work of God. We've got the forecasts that Christ gave us as the end times come when they do. And we have confidence in God. Now, fourthly, all believers benefit from the promise, not just Jews and not just Gentiles. Everybody, regardless of Jew or Gentile, benefits from Abraham. So are you a child of Abraham? Yes. Jew or Gentile, ethnic or faith, you're all children of Abraham, just as he was saved by faith. And God said, you are declared righteous. That's what he says. 16, 17. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. That's you and me. Not only to those who are of the law, which is the Jewish community, but also for those who are of the faith of Abraham everybody else. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, including Christians in the United States of America, Canada, Mexico, Peru, wherever we are, many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were offspring. It's the literal Greek, uh, Greek word sperma. You know what that would be. It means the seed of life, so it could be translated two ways. One is literally, these are the descendants of Abraham, the Israeli community, the Jewish population. Then there's the spiritual children also in this. Paul takes it both directions and says that we're all children of the same father. And how do we know that? Because of faith and faith alone not by genetics. So who are we? Well, we're Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4 says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And who calls us? God does. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
men, women, Jews, Gentiles, old, young, all who believe in Jesus Christ are all children of Abraham, all part of the body of Christ. This is the, one of the major, major points that Paul is making. There are privileges, as Paul will go on to say later on, with being Jewish in some ways, but salvation, not. It's all through what God has done for us by his grace. Then the immediate context that follows is Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was about 100 years old. And uh, I kind of laugh a little bit because it says that he was as good as dead. Um, that doesn't mean if you're 100 years old, you're as good as dead. You know that George Burns said, I want to be, live to be 100? He said, very few people die after that. Right? <laughs> Spot on. All right. Good humor. This is the, but the, the key piece here is Abraham wasn't going to father anybody. And his wife wasn't going to birth anybody. So the question was, how in the world, when God promised them a son and they were childless at that point, what are they going to do? How's this going to work? I mean, rationally, intellectually, it's not going to happen. It's an impossibility. What could be done? Well, the Bible talks about God brings life where there's death and God brings into something that is nothing at all. God's power is supreme, right? I thought of a few things. One, the Holy Spirit gives birth to our spirit, making us alive to God. That's in John chapter 3. Physical resurrection from the dead is also what God can do and does. It's a future. The resurrection is so certain and the promise is so guaranteed that Paul writes in the present tense what's still in the future. That's how certain it is. Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ. We're already there. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're already there. Because God's promises are always sure and true. Then God promised that we have benefited already in our hope and security in him. First Peter, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his what? wonderful light. It's beautiful. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God promised. And I'm so grateful that all nations are blessed through the faith of Abraham that when I was in a Presbyterian church, Steel Lake Presbyterian Church up in Federal Way, and Jenny went to Marine View Presbyterian Church in Tacoma. We weren't very, very far apart. But we both had Sunday school, and our Sunday school teachers talked to us about Abraham and Sarah and how they had Isaac one day. And if you remember the story of Abraham and, and Sarah and Isaac, when, when the angels, who are the messengers of God, informed Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, that they were going to have a child, did they laugh? They laughed. And God knew this, but God is faithful. And so when Paul says that his faith was unwavering, we'll look at that in a minute, how was it that his faith remained unwavering? Even though he's old, he's not thinking he's going to have a kid. Well, let's look at that. Thanks to God, Abraham's faith never failed. The last point. Thanks to God, Abraham's faith never failed. I want to emphasize, thank you, God, for our faith not failing. If it was up to us and all the world's influences, all the media, all the trends, 
all the things we hear, all the things we feel, we would struggle, I think, tremendously in our faith. But it is God that sustains us through those ups and downs in our lives. And we, we're here to give God glory, right? We're here to enjoy Him forever. This is our purpose. And it is by the act of God that we can do this. Look at these last few verses, 18 to 22. Against all hope, Abraham in hope, against all hope, but in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened. He was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. God said, you're going to have a son. They both kind of laughed. So you may wonder, well, doesn't that sound like wavering faith? Well, do you ever have doubts? I do sometimes about certain things, but you know what? It doesn't change my faith. I still trust God. I just don't know how God's going to pull it off. I still trust God, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Those are the things that we all have in our lives, but we still know that God is there. It's like that firm rock that the house is built on. The storms come, but the house stands because it's built on a sure foundation. I'm persuaded by God that God is true and faithful and right and just, gracious and merciful, loving and compassionate. All the things I know about God, God is always consistent. And every time I look back, I see God's hand in at work in my life, and I have heard many of your stories, and we've heard testimonies of people. Do you know that David Scott's home now? We didn't know when that was going to happen, and when David, and he wants to come to church, and when he does, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him if he wouldn't mind sharing. Hi, David, online. I'm, I'll bet you're watching. I would like to invite Dave to come up and share with us his experience. God has done a great miracle in his life, bringing him through what looked like death. In fact, David remembers everything, everything. He remembers doctors talking about turning stuff off because he looked like he was gone. But they did the EEG, and they said, let's just wait a little longer and see because there's brain activity. Let's just see what happens. Dave's doing great, and it's God's grace, and our, our prayers have been lifted up and answered, and the power of God, and who knew that was coming? I was at his bedside when he couldn't even dilate his eyes with light. He couldn't react in any way, shape, or form. And it was almost like Lazarus to me. And I thank God for that. We didn't even know we'd get home this fast. I thank God for that. He's chomping on food. The feeding tube's going to come out pretty soon if it hasn't already. Thank God for that. We knew that God was there. His promises are sure. Christ said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, great. But when is Dave going to start breathing? When is Dave going to start eating? When is Dave going to start talking? I don't know. When is Sarah going to get pregnant? Well, it looks pretty hopeless from our point of view, but God promised. And so they laughed, but down deep inside, Abraham knew God promised. 
It's hopeless, but he has hope because it's God. I had to go online, and I did it this morning. I, as the thought occurred to me, what is the age of the oldest woman that is known to us who has had a baby? The oldest mother. She had to have a C-section, by the way. 74 years old. A woman in India decided to have in vitro fertilization, had twin girls, 74 years old. I was blown away by that. I mean, down deep, I'm thinking, what was she thinking? <laughs> right? That's a lot of busy and energy and all that at that age. The oldest reported non-in vitro natural means, supposedly, was a 64-year-old woman in China. Whew, some of you are really nervous now, aren't you? You're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to break any records. But this is beyond that. Abraham's 100. They don't have in vitro fertilization. They don't have those options. And Sarah's womb has stopped ovulating, you know, all that long time ago. And God says, you're going to have a child. <laughs> That's really funny. God's got to say, really, you're serious? God promised. So it was hopeless. But God promised, when this body dies and I'm laid in the grave, is it hopeless? Or do I know that God promised, like the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise? Amen? Yes. So can Christians cry at a memorial service? Oh, we do. But do we grieve without hope? No, we don't. Why? Because God is true always makes a promise that is fulfilled. Never, ever goes back on a promise, never lies. We can, we're guaranteed because, even though it seems hopeless, it's because it's from God, who makes something out of nothing and brings life out of death itself. Who could provide a child for Sarah, even though physically it was impossible, God did it. And that's what Paul is saying. Hebrews 11.11, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him, that is God, faithful who had made the promise. God promised. That was enough for Abraham. Not the circumstances. God. And that's something we can really lean into, can't we? not looking at our circumstances, not looking at the conditions that we're in, the feelings we have. We go right back to our roots and we say, what did God promise? We can trust God. To Genesis 21, 1 and 2, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Do you see the promise, promise, promise? And it's all about God. We see things in our lives that look hopeless without, with, with natural means, with material means, but with God all things are possible, right? Where I am weak, he is strong. All these things are there in Scripture for us, and we can rely on God through thick and thin. And that's what Abraham and Sarah's lives represent here. They have faith. That doesn't mean they always felt great, especially when they laughed. And in fact, the angels said, you laughed, and then there was a refusal. I didn't laugh. Oh, yeah, you did. And if I remember right, I think Isaac's name means God got the last laugh. 
It's a lot of humor in there if you read it carefully. But we can trust God's promises in our lives. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is what? Why do we hold unswervingly to the many, many promises of God for us? Because God is faithful even if we're not. We're saved by faith, not by works. So I thought about some of the promises. Just briefly, my list included this. We're saved by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by works. Despite our circumstances, God works everything out for the good of those who love him. Some good is going to be worked out. Jesus is always with us, never abandoning us, doesn't take a nap, doesn't go on vacation, doesn't turn his back on us and walk away. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no partial filling Christians. There's no overflowing filled Christians. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit of God completely. When we die, we go to be with Jesus in paradise. That's a promise. And we look forward to physical resurrection, eternal life, new heaven and a new earth, comfort, words when we need them, peace, direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, and on and on and on it goes. No matter how we feel and no matter what the circumstances are, do we know that God is faithful? I find that that's one of the challenges in pastoral ministry that I hear from those in the church sometimes where they're struggling and they're saying, I don't know how God's going to do this. I don't know why God's allowing this. Some even say, I don't know why God is doing this. It's okay to ask questions. But you know what's really great when I hear those questions? They're still talking about God. And they're talking about God because they know that the bedrock is there, that God is faithful. They just can't fathom how. But they know he's faithful. And he knows, they know that the promises are guaranteed because God is God. They just can't figure it out. I can't figure it out sometimes, right? But Abraham and Sarah, if, if their neighbors were to ask Abraham and Sarah, so God says you're going to have a son, how's that going to happen? What would Abraham and Sarah say? Don't know. It's going to be a miracle of God. God's got it. I don't know how this is going to happen. God's going to have to do the connecting and the life bringing out of nothing. He's the life bringer. Brings into being what is not. This is the God we know. We can trust him. That's our foundation, and the world could really hear more of it. I was at the Wednesday youth group meeting. I was talking to the kids about if you want to be a Christian in today's age, it's not for wimps and chickens and timidity. You've got to have some guts and courage. You've got to have some internal core strength. And it is not something we whip up ourselves. It's something that we get from God. The more you know God, the stronger it makes us in our living for Christ today. Because the world promises all kinds of things. But they all fade away and they come to nothing. Rust, moths death itself. The world doesn't have those promises that it can guarantee us. But knowing God and knowing God better as the years go by gives us more strength and more boldness and more courage and more resolve to suffer for Christ if we have to. I want to close with Paul's words to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 8-12. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord 
or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. See, it's all about God, isn't it? By the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done. It's not us. We don't have to whip this up. I don't have to stir you into a frenzy. We don't have to get all excited and run around on energy that we've generated on our own. It's about God, right? Not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Amen. This grace has been given, given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God knows what God's doing. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Will we suffer if we live boldly for Christ? Paul was. Yet I'm not ashamed, he says, because I know whom I have believed. You see, it goes back to God. I know God. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, convinced that he, God, is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. He knows he has eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. He knows the resurrection is coming. He knows that he'll be with Jesus in paradise. He knows there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. He knows he's right with God through faith and faith alone. He knows the Holy Spirit resides within him. He knows he's a servant of God. He knows that God is faithful, merciful, gracious, compassionate, loving, kind, long-suffering, and also angry and wrathful and disciplines those he loves for good. He knows God, and he says, I know God well enough to know that this world has nothing in comparison. The world can throw at me whatever they want, but I know God. God's got this. And it's the same message for us today as believers where we know that in America the number of Christians, identifying Christians, is decreasing. We know that in younger generations there's an increasing departure from the gospel and Christ that the world has attracted them maybe, well, it certainly has in many cases, more than we have. Sometimes I say the world's a better evangelist. But the key piece that our kids need to know and grandkids need to know and we need to cling to ourselves is, do we know God as God truly is? And when we do, and God promises us, as he has in the Bible, those many, many promises, are we secure enough to live for Christ and not let the world detract, detract from the promises of God. I still remember in Alaska one time, just a quickie, a friend of mine was a teacher at the school there, and, and fishing was a big part of Alaska life, and he said to me one day, let's go fishing, and I said, I can't, I've got to prepare for a sermon. His response was, oh, just wing it. I'm sorry, I'm not going to wing a message, I've got to do my homework. And he, he didn't understand that at all. Why would I give up fishing? Well, A, I really don't like fishing, but that's not it. What, what it is is God is greater 
than any pleasure in this world that it promises to offer. God's promises are where life is. I want to last this. I turned 65 this week. I'm starting to get questions about when are you going to retire? I have no date in mind and I don't have any plans. I, have, I want it to be a consensus piece. I'm just saying it now. I've had people tell me, I hope you're still here when I die. I told them, don't rush. <laughs> I, I wonder what about retirement, because 65, you know, get that little thought in the head going on there. I'm telling you, I have no date in my head. I just want what God wants. Why? Because the promises of God is what it's all about. It's about God. This world doesn't compare to God. I only want what God wants. As long as God wants this. Somebody once asked a pastor, how, how did you manage to stay at the church for so long? Well, I stayed when people wanted me to leave. I stayed when I wanted to leave. And I stayed until God told me it was okay to leave. And I think that's the attitude that all of us have. That's not a minister talking. That's a Christian's perspective. Right? We're here for the Lord. The world has many temptations, but nothing holds a candle to the promises of God. That's where life is. And I hope that all of us, as we go through our lives, can appreciate and understand that God has got everything we need. There's hope. There's love. There's pleasure. There's goodness. There's promise galore. <laughs> and it's all rooted in God. I'm excited about the future because of God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are the promise keeper, that in you it's yes in Christ Jesus. You are faithful and true. Your promises are guaranteed. This world offers all kinds of other stuff, short-term, quick fix, get rich quick, feel good, pleasures, maybe even numbing it out, whatever. But in you, there's life. In you, there's hope. Thank you, God for your Holy Spirit's work in us that grounds us in Jesus Christ. Help us then to live into your very nature, trusting you with our very lives and the things we do and the things we say for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. The final hymn really fits this well. We haven't sung it in a while, but there's a phrase in there that really caught my eye, and I think we'll all enjoy singing it together. Let's stand.
right. Yeah, I heard the amens coming out. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's right. We've got a great God who's got it all together, and we're in that plan. You are children of Abraham through faith and faith alone, and thank God we, we are declared righteous by our Lord. Praise the Lord. So much to look forward to. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the loving Father and the sacrificial, wonderful grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore, and all of God's people could say again, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. God is with you. God is awesome. God bless you.